Hello. Greetings. We're so glad that you've joined us. Thank you for your interest in spiritual matters. My name is Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. After Peter confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus commended him for that confession, and he declared in Matthew 16 and in verse 18, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, the idea of that word church in Greek is the word ecclesia. The nature of that church, that ecclesia, has been very contentious, is an issue throughout most of the history of Christianity. And there is a progression of thought that we can see in history, uh, having the church go from a group of people that it comes together in an assembly to becoming an organization or institution in which the organization itself saves, where the individual gets lost in the collective. And uh, we see this especially in some of the most uh, long-established denominations like the Roman Catholic Church, Eastern Orthodoxy, and others. In fact, uh, the Roman Catholic Church is developed entirely based on this idea that it, within the church is where salvation dwells. And by importing Old Testament concepts about the temple, all of a sudden now the buildings took on a holy quality. And so now when people think of a church, they think of a building and they think of an institution or an organization. Now, it is true that in the Reformation and later individuals, a lot of people uh, demonstrated that the idea that the church was the source of salvation or that the church building was uh, sacred were false. But uh, a lot of times, even then, the true nature of the church, as Jesus established it and revealed in the New Testament, is still not fully recognized. And so to this day, thousands of years later, People still look at church buildings as having some kind of holy or sanctified value, and there's a belief that persists that the church is more than just the body of believers, the people of God. And so in order to try to come to a better understanding of what's going on with the church and what Jesus is trying to accomplish in it, we do well to explore the terms that are being used here, uh, church and ecclesia the Greek term, and maybe look at some of the elements that we can see about the Ecclesia based on the word to see if that helps us come to a better understanding of what God's trying to do with his church. Let's first look, though, at this English word church. <coughs> Excuse me, it may come to surprise uh, to you, maybe surprising to you to learn that English word church, uh, the Greek word from which it derives, is never found in the New Testament. Uh, we get church from the Middle English chirche, which comes from siritke. In the Old English, you look at the Scottish Kirk to this day, same idea. Uh, these come from the Greek kuriakon, uh, which means something like kuriakos of the Lord. And normally uh, paired with the Greek word doma to create the house of the Lord. And so the word church, if we look at it from what it comes from, is uh, the Lord's thing. And if you take the idea with the house, it's the house of the Lord. And that's why, to this day, and if you look at Webster's Dictionary, the first definition of the English word church is a building used for Christian worship. And you've got uh, later use of the term as an institution. So the popular usage of the term, by the way, is not in really wrong. That's kind of what the term's been used to describe for, for years. This is not an attempt to rail against uh, dictionary writers, lexicographers, and others. They are accurately assessing the way the term is used in the English language. And yes, the church in the New Testament is certainly a thing of the Lord. No one's going to argue that. 
But the New Testament term for church does not have this definition. So why did this term end up getting used? Well, church was established as an English term as preferred in the 16th and 17th century Bible translators, not because it was accurate, but to protect the interests of the Anglican Church, the Church of England against its dissenters. Uh, something very similar happened with the word baptism, which was uh, from baptizo, not translated to immerse or to dip, but instead just translated into baptism to allow for the ambiguity to continue to allow sprinkling and pouring and other forms of, of quote-unquote forms of baptism to be considered as value. So this mean we shouldn't use the word church, we should just throw it out? Well, it's, you know, a difficult issue. Uh, on the one hand, it's, it seems very hard to defend the use of the word church when we see that the first two meanings are not consistent with what the New Testament's revealing uh, with this word ecclesia. But the English word church still does maintain the meaning of a group of people that shared identity even when they're not actually physically together. This is something that is part of the definition of ecclesia in Greek. And while English assembly has a lot of strengths in connection with assemblies, ecclesias we're going to see, it doesn't have that meaning. So even though there's all these misunderstandings, at this point in the way English is used, church is still a very valid way of describing the ecclesia, the body of Christ, as made known in the New Testament locally and universally. But we do need to very, make it very clear what we mean to use the terms appropriately. And so we need to be aware that, yes, this word church does lead us to some misapprehensions because what it has come to mean in English uh, includes things beyond what the original Greek term meant. So what is this Greek term? Well, again, we've been talking about it's ecclesia. And ecclesia is often broken down into its constituent parts, and people try to make a definition out of it. The idea of the Greek ek, uh, from or out in the Greek verb kaleo, to call. So therefore, ecclesia is those called out. And that's what a lot of people want to go with. Uh, and, you know, it's certainly suitable for comparisons to some truths we have in the scriptures, like in Colossians 1.13, Colossians 3.3, we're called out of the world, translated into the kingdom of the Son. And so, yes, we are absolutely called out from the world into Christ. But there's already a word that covers that. That's the word hagio, hagios, the idea of being the whole, uh, set apart, sanctified, the holy. Uh, so the sanctification covers that distinctiveness. And to just focus on Ecclesia as the called out ones, as if we can just erase hundreds of years of Greek history, is to not only do a term, the term a disservice, it, it does a disservice in trying to even understand what on earth Jesus is doing using that kind of word. Because in the time Jesus uses it, it's a very firm meaning. It is an assembly. And we see this, again, in Acts 19. We go to Acts 19 to talk about the assembly, the ecclesia, because we see many different ecclesiae, actually. Uh, many different types of assemblies in one passage. In Acts 19, there's a description of Paul's work in Ephesus. And toward the end, there's uh, Demetrius, a silversmith, who's worried about his economic prospects. And so he's trying to instigate uh, some kind of action against Paul. And so we're told in verse 32 that now some cried out one thing, some another, for the ecclesia was in confusion. Most of them did not know why they had come together. And at the end of the passage, when he had said these things, he dismissed the ecclesia. Uh, so we see there, and neither of these are the church, but the word ecclesia is being used. These two refer to the gathering that has come together to declare that Artemis of the Ephesians is great and to cause consternation, dissension. Uh, probably would have if it had its own way been devolved into violence against Paul and uh, Jews and Christians in order to uphold the integrity of the uh, cult of Artemis. 
So it's referring to, if you want to be nice to them, a protest. If you don't want to be nice to them, a riot. Uh, and also, in Acts chapter 19, and in verse 39, the town clerks try to talk to this ecclesia that's gathered, and he tells them, but if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular ecclesia. Now that term uh, is talking about uh, this assembly of the city. And to, to, to understand this, we have to understand something about Greek history, that uh, in the Greek city-state development that took place, um, around 700s BC until, you know, actually by the 400s BC, that a lot of the city-states had what's called an ecclesia as part of the government. And so these ecclesia were assemblies, and they represented a collection of male citizens of the city-state, and they'd have some share in the decisions of governing. In some city-states, like Sparta, this ecclesia would function as the final arbiter regarding anything the elders or kings would have desired. The king's elders would have agreed to it, uh, put something forth to the ecclesia, and it would be voted up or down. Uh, but the most famous one was in Athens, because uh, whereas, like in Sparta, the ecclesia was basically a rubber stamping from the other leaders, the ecclesia was the driver in Athens, and that's why we talk about Athenian democracy. Where did Athenian democracy take place? It took place in the ecclesia, in the assembly of its male citizens that decided the matters of state. Um, and so in Acts 19, we can see that even though it's now hundreds of years later, it's under the Roman Empire, it's not that the emperor has no power, or neither does a governor, it's simply that for a lot of issues of local civic governance, the Romans uh, left a good thing going, and so they continued to use the ecclesia. And if there was a concern, they could be brought up in a proper legal way there, that's what the town clerk was trying to emphasize. And so there's one in Ephesus, there's going to be one in most of the major cities of the time, and so this is going to be something that was a well-known idea. And so that's what the word means in the Greco-Roman context. In the pagan Greek world, uh, Ecclesia would be thought of first and foremost as this kind of political legislative assembly. Now, going back in our historical story, uh, after the in the 4th century, toward the end of the 4th century, uh, Alexander the Great conquers the ancient Near Eastern world and brings with him uh, Greek civilization. And uh, since the Macedonians ruled for hundreds of years after Alexander, uh, it was only a matter of time before the Hebrew Old Testament was going to be translated into Greek, which we call the Septuagint. Now, this, the Hebrew has a word, kahal. And kahal is a word that ends up getting translated into Greek to two terms. And one of the terms we're familiar with in terms of Judaism, uh, when there are these things they called kahal that were gathering in a very religious sense, they used the word synagogue, from which we get synagogue, like in Exodus 12 or Leviticus 4. But at other times, especially when they were talking about a national assembly of the people of Israel, the translators would choose the term ecclesia. Uh, for instance, Deuteronomy 23, that uh, no Moabite or Mammonite will enter the ecclesia of the people of the assembly of the people of Israel. Uh, in Judges 20 and verse 2, after the outrage that took place to the Levite, uh, the uh, chiefs of the of Israel all came together as the assembly, the ecclesia, uh, with all these men who drew the sword. In 1 Kings 8, 14 and 22, we learn of the dedication of the temple, and that uh, Israel had gathered as the ecclesia, the assembly. There in Ezra 2 and verse 64, um, all the exiles who had gathered together in, in Jerusalem, the ecclesia. And in Psalm 22:25, and you know, the, I will praise your name in the midst of the great congregation. 
there is the Greek and Greek ecclesia. And so in this way, the Greek translators of Septuagint seem to be trying to keep a sense of the Greek definition of use of ecclesia. They preferred it to describe a gathering of the people for what we call maybe civic or national purposes. Uh, we should not then believe that the Greek translators thought that they had some kind of governing function. Uh, but they definitely seem to understand that the ecclesia was being used to describe something that was of this uh, quote-unquote political character, that it wasn't as much maybe quote-unquote religious, not that you can exactly separate this all the time, uh, even in these uh, examples that we have adduced, but that there's this idea of a national gathering for a national purpose or a civic gathering for a civic purpose versus a gathering of all the people, even the same type of people, for a religious purpose. Because the Jews may have gathered in their synagogues to read Torah, but they would also understand the full assembly of their people as an ecclesia. So these are the two streams of thought that are, are, are behind the use of the word ecclesia. So when Jesus is standing there in Caesarea Philippi, and he's, Peter's made this confession, and Jesus is going to use this term, which is going to then on define uh, the group of people who would follow him, uh, perhaps most strongly than any other term, he chooses ecclesia. And so we see that the term has this long history in Greek uh, to talk about the assembly used in the governance of city. And that in the Septuagint of the of Jewish translation of the scriptures, it maintains its core conception of this national civic assembly and represents in that way the sons of the nation of Israel. And so that's what's going on there. And so we need to really realize something that we've perhaps forgotten in and kind of taken for granted is that Jesus is really setting the terms of the group based on that word in a very compelling way. Because the idea of the ecclesia is not nearly as hierarchical as both religion and politics tended to be in that age. And we're going to see that as we kind of look here at, at what it means to call the church the ecclesia, as opposed to the synagogue or, or, or some other term. And you think about religion in, in the ancient world. You've got uh, priests and people, and there's a distinction there. There's mystery cults. There's stratification within religions. Uh, certain levels you'd have to achieve through effort or re resources. Uh, and that's just not there at all in Christianity. And it seems to go back to this idea of the church as the ecclesia. But we need to be careful, of course, obviously, because the Greek ecclesia is the political institution whose purpose was to draft laws and to establish policy. Uh, but even in his Jewish conception, the Ecclesia of Israel is uh, gathering for these civic purposes, uh, military or, uh, uh, or dedications or things of that nature. But the Ecclesia of Christ is a spiritual collective of people in Jesus Christ who are to obey the laws already established by him. So there's definitely a very different purpose involved in these different uh, concepts of the Ecclesia. But there's some insights that we can gain, I think, that are very useful. And again, the, the core one is this idea that the Greek ecclesia consisted of equal persons. Uh, this assembly of Athens were the assembled citizens of Athens on a given day, and they maintained equal standing as deliberations. Now, sure, who are citizens? It's men with property. Uh, poor guys with no property, women, aliens from other areas, etc., had no standing. Um, and we could chastise them for that. But when we look at what's going on in the rest of the world, even this idea that the main governing body had a diverse group of men 
who had different social standing, who had different levels of wealth, uh, it's still revolutionary that they all would have votes of the same value. Now, sure, as with any group like this, there's cults of personality that develop, factions existed between various groups affiliated with one or two strong speakers, but we should again stress that the Ecclesia has this equal concept that each person in the end has one vote. And it's the, uh, the, the, the certain voices don't have to be privileged just because of who they are. And in Christ, that's the same way, that uh, everybody stands equally. Sure, there are elders who are to shepherd the church, and they are given authority to do that in First Timothy 3, 3 and First Peter 5 in local congregations. But an elder is just as amenable as the youngest Christian to the, to the purposes of God in Christ, and every soul has equal value in the sight of God and within the Ecclesia. So Galatians 3.28, that there is neither male nor female, there is neither Jew nor Greek, but uh, we are all one man in Christ Jesus. Same concept in Colossians 3 and verse 11. And hey, yes, in the church there are times where there are cults of personalities around preachers or elders or this faction or that faction. So we can see in 1 Corinthians 1 that's not the way it's supposed to be. But we see this kind of idea of equality. And that very well might have something to do with the reason why Jesus chose it. And the Greek ecclesia also allowed for participation by all. It was possible for any man to stand up and speak regarding the issues of the day. Now, most probably did not do so, uh, but the capability existed for anyone present in the Ecclesia, which is notable. And again, there's participation for everyone in the Ecclesia of Christ. And again, there's certain roles that certain people are supposed to do. And there's el roles elders have, there's roles certain teachers have, roles certain preachers have. Uh, that we see that uh, women are to be silent in the assembly uh, and to learn a different way in 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians 14 and 34. But all members of the Ecclesia are called upon to sing praises to God, to pray to Him, to hear the lesson, to partake of the Lord's Supper, to, be, to invest in the encouragement spiritually that comes from all of these behaviors, as we can see in 1 Corinthians 11, 12, and 14. Now, as a lot of people in Christ do not choose to participate to the level they should, and that ought not be as well. But we should see that all have work to do. All have something they can do to in which to participate. Uh, this is not a certain people are just spectating, other people are performing uh, type of situation. We also see that the Greek Ecclesia is something that existed because it was continued uh, generation after generation. That the younger would learn from the older, and they would in turn teach their young. Now, the Ecclesia in Athens varied in power. There's time there's tyrants, there are time where there's some oligarchs, but uh, it continued for hundreds of years. And the fathers would consider it important and to have their say in government, they'd bring their sons along when they could and instruct them in the ways the Ecclesia worked. Uh, sure, strong personalities came and went, but the Ecclesia managed to maintain authority, at least in some level of civic affairs. The Ecclesia of Christ always has Christ as its head, but it continues generation with generation with the younger learning from the older and in turn teaching their young. That's why in Ephesians 6.4, for, for uh, parents to raise their children the discipline and admonition of the Lord, it becomes such an important concept and an important thing uh, to maintain. As uh, Paul told Timothy uh, in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so if the children see that the parents consider it important to assemble as the Ecclesia, to do what God says, to encourage one another, then they should follow in that path. And 
it's important to continue to uphold the way that the church is supposed to run according to the way that God has established it in the New Testament and to not invest a man with any form of authority over the whole ecclesia uh, in ways that have been done throughout history to the detriment of the church and leading to the kind of situation we find ourselves in leading to this uh, discussion about uh, the nature of the church. Uh, it all happened because power was being invested in the hands of too few. But it's important to look at the Israelite ecclesia because it's the gathering of the people who represented that nation. And in a very powerful way was the nation of Israel. At various times in Israel's history, the people were gathered for some purpose or together. The whole group left Egypt. Those who stood before Yahweh during the festivals. The gathering of soldiers for war. Gathering to anoint and install a king. Gathering to dedicate a temple. Uh, the mass of returned exiles, among others. And so, yes, Israel remained a people or a nation even when they weren't gathered. But when they did come together, the full force and power of the idea of the Israelite nation was manifest. And the same is true of the Ecclesia of Christ. It represents the collective people of God, a nation for God's own possession. These are terms we can get out of 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. And interestingly, throughout the New Testament, the apostles will appropriate the language of Israel and imagery of Israel to describe Christians, even though Christians come from a variety of natures and cultures. And so it is that Paul asks for the peace to be upon the, the Israel of God in Galatians 6.16. Uh, Peter will write to the elect exiles of the dispersion in 1 Peter 1.1 1, 1, and would appropriate image, Israelite imagery for Christians in chapter 2, verses 3 through 9. And this is not some kind of mere flight of fancy or some kind of later development because when Jesus proclaims the kingdom of God, he's conceiving of this nation built around the work God is accomplishing through him. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, change your ways, Matthew 4, 17, 23. How does that get manifest? Well, he lives, he dies, he's raised, and this proclamation goes forth that Jesus has been made Lord and Christ. And so uh, we have the faithful Israel now gathering around Jesus. So the Ecclesia of Christ is the gathering of the people who represent the kingdom. And so in a powerful way is the kingdom of God in Christ. It's that gathering, the assembly of the nation uh, that we have in a very dim view now as we assemble as Christians in various places. But of course looking forward to that ultimate assembly of all Christians on the final day of resurrection and the glory that will be to be seen to be the nation of the people of God. And so from all these examples and looking at where that word comes from, I hope that we can see that it's very clear why Jesus would choose Ecclesia to define the collective of the people of God in Christ. That yes, it's very easy to allow the English word church to detract from what's going on with Ecclesia. But if we just kind of, when we're reading the Bible and we see church, read it as assembly, uh, we can appreciate what God's trying to do there. It's not this highly organized instrument of salvation, or it's, not, it's definitely not a building. It's people. It's the assembly of saints who come together as equals before their Lord Jesus Christ to share together in serving Him and encouraging one another, instructing one another, uh, providing a model for a younger generation to follow in their steps, that they're embodying the nation of the people of God. That's why it's so important for us to continue to serve as the ecclesia, the church of God's people, the assembly of the firstborn. It's important to note that the Athenian Ecclesia was very limited to the citizens of Athens. Very difficult for anyone from other communities to become a part of it. The process to become a proselyte, to become a part of the Ecclesia of Israel was also uh, quite demanding. But for the Ecclesia of Christ, all are called to come to it. And all we need to do is to submit to the will of the Lord Jesus by believing that he is a Christ, the Son of the living God, by confessing to others that faith, 
to change our hearts and minds to follow Jesus in repentance and to be immersed in water in the name of Jesus to the gifts of our sins in baptism. And then we can uh, join the nation of the people of God, the ecclesia, the church of Christ, and can begin to serve him. So may we all strive to be part of that ecclesia of God, no matter our previous religion, our race, our ethnicity, our culture, gender, any of those other issues, to participate in that wonderful assembly of the people of God who will obtain the resurrection of life. So thankful that you've joined us again. If you've really been benefited by our conversation about the church as an ecclesia, we encourage you to to share uh, this sermon on social media. If you'd like to uh, ask any questions about this or other topics, if you'd like to explore other uh, discussions or articles, if you'd like to meet with us for Bible study for our assembly, you'd like to learn more about us, please find us online at VeniceChurchOfChrist.org. We're also on many forms of social media. If you'd like to contact me personally, you can find me through my website, DeVerbalVitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. We again thank you. Have a great day.